Hi, Misfits. This is Kevin. And this is Kate. Welcome to Horrorwood. That was very radio-like of Thank you. Thank you. I was telling you earlier I went to a drag brunch, which was super fun. Love that. And had some macarons at a bubble tea shop afterwards. I'm going to have to go there. You have to listen to this episode of Red Handed that I just listened to okay. about exploding lakes. Oh, you guys, did you know that lakes could just explode? <laughs> just out of nowhere. I did not know this. And it is horrifying. That's insane. Which means we have to move because Lake Michigan's like it's gonna right explode. there. It's going to any minute. Any second now. Gotta get out Does of here. Does it have to do with ice or weather? It has to do with carbon dioxide that builds up in the bottom. I feel like I've heard of this before. No body of water can be trusted. Leave. Leave it. Go inland. Yeah. We've got two new Patronians to shout out today. Yay. Those Patronians are Gigi. Hi, Gigi. Hi, Gigi. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Welcome. Thank you for signing up on the Patreon. And our second one is? Alexia Brown. Alexia, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a Patronian. Yes. Thanks for being a listener, guys. Yes, thanks for signing up. So thank you. Your support really does. It means a lot to us. And it helps us so much. So thank you. Let's get into it. All right, Kate. (laughs) I held myself back because I remembered last time. I mentioned to Kevin once that he doesn't have to address me so many times directly in an episode. And now it's all he thinks about. It's all I can think about. Today, I am covering none other than the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. Kevin Corbett presents. There's a side profile. You can't see it, but I'm walking in from the side (laughs) and the shadows. That should be the photo for this episode. It's just you. I can figure it out in my room tonight. Yeah. I'll send you some pics. Great. So... Alfred Joseph Hitchcock was born on August 13th, 1899. Oh, I didn't realize he was born in the 1800s. 1890s. Why does that sound so long ago? Because it was. Because it was. Old ass man. I mean, he's dead. So he's, he's dead not now. old. I know he's anymore. not old anymore. He was. At one time? <laughs> At one time. He was born in an apartment above his parents' leased grocery shop. Okay. Meaning they leased a shop. Right, right. At 517 High Road in Leytonstone, Essex, England, which uh, is essentially on the outskirts of East London. Oh, okay. He was the youngest of three children in his family. His siblings were William, who was born in 1890, and Eileen, who was born in 1892. His parents, William Edgar Hitchcock and Emma Jane Whalen, were both of modest means. Alfred's father, William, worked in the food industry as a greengrocer and poultry dealer. Okay. Emma Jane was primarily a homemaker. Alfred Hitchcock's early exposure to the food industry and the working class environment that he grew up in had an impact on his later films. So as we go through his history of being like a kid and a teenager and being growing up, basically, yeah. you, there, you can really see kind of where his impact, where the impact on his films came from, like where the what the like how themes he was were, like how he's influenced. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. I... Here's the thing. I saw you struggling, but then I too was struggling. And in my brain, I was like, I need to help him out. I need, what's the word? I need to, I gotta think I of something. I was waiting for you. To, and <laughs> I was like, just going nowhere. But I couldn't think of it. And so it felt so bad. I panicked. I looked at my notes. I looked at you. I was like, this thing. It got really tense in here for a these second. These things that, you know, inspire <laughs> us. Uh, elements of class and struggle and societal tensions often wound up mm, in his I see. narratives. Yeah. There we go. I should have just read the next fucking <laughs> sentence. You had it right all along. It was there all along. Hitchcock's childhood was marked by a strict Catholic upbringing. Mm. Both of his parents were Roman Catholics mm. with partial Irish ancestry. Okay. 
I think we can just nod and understand (laughs) what that was like. Because of the strict Catholic upbringing, things weren't exactly smooth in that household. Uh, His childhood was marked by loneliness and trauma as he was usually caught between extremes of punishment from his father and uh, the coddling of his mother. Mm, Okay. So according to Hitchcock himself, he was required to stand at the foot of his mother's bed each day and tell her what happened to him each day. Like, just describe his day? Yeah, she would make him come in and be like, oh, sweetie, tell me about your day, and make him stand at the edge of the bed and tell her about his day every day. Part of me is like, okay, it's just a mom like wanting to know how her kid was doing and what happened during his day. I think he's kind of looking back on it as something that he had to do that he didn't want to do. Yeah, it sounds like he wasn't It didn't. I don't think there's good connotations there. Okay. As coddling as she was. Mm -hmm. But when Alfred was six years old, here's where this is a big deal that happened when he was a kid. His father, William, punished him. I don't know for what. I couldn't find out exactly what he did. Okay. I think it was just some minor thing at home. Probably just being a six-year-old. Being a six-year-old child William punished him by sending him to a local police station uh, what with a note telling the officer on duty to put him in a cell for five minutes when he was six when years he was old six years old and the, the police station just went with it they, they went with yeah, it yeah they, they just were, did it they were like cool yeah let's imprison a child but this was done without telling him for how long like the note like, it was on the note to put him in there for five minutes, but I don't think he read it. He just gave it to the policeman, and he didn't know how long he was going to be in there. This poor kid. I know. And if you think about it, like, notice that false imprisonment imprisonment is a main theme in one of his in his movies, mm. basically. So it, it left Alfred with a lifelong fear of law enforcement, basically. Yeah, that Which sounds Which I traumatic. 100% understand. My, I don't know if I've told, I think I've told this story on the podcast where my parents faked a break in when I left yes, the door unlocked. And that's so fucking wild. Isn't it? So yes. my therapist thinks so too. We well, talk I would imagine. Like, I have to take a drink of red wine now. <laughs> Me too. We decided it was a wine night it's, to record. Kate has some good red wines it's here. Saturday night here, this post on Monday. We're just having some wine, drinking our troubles away. Talking about Hitchcock. Alfred's father passed away on January 7th, 1914, when he was only 14 years old. When Alfred was 14 years <laughs> okay, old. Okay, I was so, like, whoa, the I, math. And I, I wrote that there to say it, and I didn't, and that's on me. <laughs> the math was not computing for me. He was six, his dad was 14. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay, so Alfred was 14. He was 14 when his dad passed away. The loss of his father had a significant impact on Hitchcock's life. Some biographers and scholars suggested that it influenced themes of loss, guilt, and vulnerability that can be seen in his later films. Mm. So we're seeing where all of these kind of story themes are coming in at an early age. And I also feel like because his relationship with his dad was so strained and he was probably afraid of him to a point then there's that like small part of him that was probably relieved that he was gone but then also that part of him is like well my dad that that's still his dad exactly i feel like that's a like such a struggle for a kid for a kid to go through i've had that sort of same realization recently Mm -hmm. of like you lose someone and you think you miss them but you have this unresolved trauma that happened because of them Mm. that you don't know how to move on from them. Yeah. That's what I've found anyway, just in my personal journey. Yeah. It's tough out there, y'all. Careful. I mean, yeah, even for an adult. So the Hitchcock family moved to Limehouse when Alfred was six. Is Limehouse a place or a It's a, a house. town. Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's not an actual house. It's a town okay. in England. Because I'm the, I'm <laughs> researching a thing right now. and like, they named their houses. And I'm like, okay, is this? Oh, my this, God. This? That's It's crazy, especially in the UK where okay. everything's like the house of blah, 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 blah. That's the official title. Limehouse, it's a district in the London borough of Tower Hamlets in East London. So they Mm. were just moving around. Gotcha. East East London, Essex, all that place. (laughs) I don't know. All that place. (laughs) All that place. (laughs) The family leased two more food stores. One was actually Mm. a fish and chip shop. Hey. I want that so bad. And one was, and the other one to go with it was a fishmonger store. English fish and chips, like just. Oh, the best. Delicious. The Some best. vinegar on there. Pour that malt vinegar Pour all it on over it. it. Pour over Love it. it. And in the, have you, did you ever have it like in the cone of paper? Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
the best. The beach, so good. We love you, UK. So Hitchcock attended his first school here, which was Howrah House, Howrah House Covenant in Poplar. The family moved again when Alfred was 11 to Stepney, and on October 5th, 1910, he attended St. Ignatius College. Okay. A Jesuit school in London. This school had a harsh reputation for its discipline. Oh. The priests used a tool known as a ferula, which was a flat wooden tool used specifically to smack children's palms as hard as you could. Kind of like a a switch situation. Yeah. So he went from being abused as a little kid in his home to To being being abused abused in school. school. Yes, 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 yes. Wow. But here's the kicker. Punishments were to be received at the end of the day. So if you got in trouble in the morning, you would just have to like wait for it. And you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming Oh, that's even worse. That's even worse. That's worse than the actual punishment. I always hated those moments when I knew I was in trouble and like things were going to go down. (laughs) Things were going down. Alfred's early fascination with literature and art, particularly the works of Edgar Allan Poe Mm. and the German expressionist, expressionist cinema hinted at his future interest in suspense and psychological thrillers. Okay. Uh, Hitchcock was involved in various activities at school. He was part of the school's drama and literary society. Makes sense. Drama club, which further contributed to his love for storytelling and the performing arts. Mm -hmm. His favorite subject was geography. Did not see that coming. I didn't either. When I was reading this, I was very surprised. But I understand the fascination of rocks. I think they're fascinating, too. Wait. Geology or geography? Geology. Uh, Geography. No, it's geography. I'm a fucking idiot, Kate. And please keep all of my mistakes in. I'm absolutely going because to. Because <laughs> I feel bad. Everyone needs Everyone to know. Everyone needs to know how bad I fuck up. That's <laughs> Kate has to sit there. I just imagine you're at the table like. Cursing under my breath. Like, that motherfucker needs to get his shit together. I never think that. If you do, it's okay. I understand. <laughs> I also think that. About me. Oh, well, I was like, shit, what I do. <laughs> Kate and I are in a fight. <laughs> We are. (laughs) Geography. For some reason, geography (laughs) sent me to geology, which sent me to gemstones, which I think are really pretty. Mm -hmm. They are. That makes you feel any better. (laughs) He became very interested in maps and the timetables of transportation systems. Schedules. Uh, Hitchcock originally told his parents in 1913 that he wanted to be an engineer. Uh, He eventually left St. Ignatius and attended night classes at the London County Council School of Engineering and Navigation. Oh, wow. Which was in Poplar, which was close by to where they lived. I see. Uh, But after his father's death in 1914, he took a job working for the Henley Telegraph and Cable Company, which this is important because it's kind of his foray into movies soon. I see. He did this uh, and took his engineering night classes because he needed to help out the family since his father was the one making money. His older brother is the one who ended up taking over the food shops. Okay. I wondered about that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting as well because like at the time of his father's death, his siblings weren't living in the house. Like they're Mm, older than him. Yeah. Um, So they had already like moved out. So it just, I could see how that'd be tough as well to sort of bear the brunt of yeah. of what's going on there and be the only kid. You don't really have anyone backing you up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to be the baby of the family. At a young age, Hitchcock showed an early interest in the film industry. He began working in that industry in 1919, initially in the design department. Mm. While he was still working at Henley's, he read in a trade paper that Famous players, Lasky. Why uh, is that familiar? Didn't we? Yeah, we talked about that. Rudy Valentino. Okay, the, got the it, whole got it. like uh, establishment of the film industry. Because famous players, Lasky went on to become Paramount. Okay, I'm pretty. Sure. I was like, I know that we've talked about it, and I don't know why my brain wasn't like putting the two together. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. Watch <laughs> <laughs> Not at thank all. You. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. The production arm of Paramount Pictures was opening a studio in London at that time. Mm. So the studios are starting to pop up. Yeah. They were planning to film The Sorrows of Satan by Marie Corelli. So Hitchcock produced some drawings for the title cards and sent his work to the studio. 
uh, he was initially, and he got the job. I mean, they accepted oh, awesome. it and he got the job. And so he was initially trained as a technical clerk and copywriter okay. at the studio. And this early exposure to filmmaking set the stage, of course, for his future yeah. career as a famous director. Hitchcock then went on to gain experience as an assistant director and screenwriter in the 1920s, uh, working on several silent films and mm. contributing to projects such as The Prude's Fall from 1924. Oh, that old thing. It just, you, it's a video of me tumbling down the stairs and going, that's what the, the words are fall. on the screen. Yeah, the prude has fallen, <laughs> and also the oh, the blackguard in from nineteen twenty five. Okay, blackguard is all one word. His directorial debut came with the silent film The Pleasure Garden in nineteen twenty five. It sounds like a sex movie. It really does. <laughs> The film tells the story of two young women, Patsy Brand, played by Virginia Valley, and Jill Shane, played by Carmelita Gerardi, who work as dancers, this isn't helping, in a London theater known as the Pleasure Garden. Okay. The narrative explores their relationships, including romantic entanglements and the challenges they face in their personal lives. Yeah, it still sounds like a porn. It still sounds like a porn. The Pleasure Garden received a mixed reception upon its release. Mm. While not a major success, it did establish Hitchcock as a director to watch. Okay. The film's reception did not deter him, and he continued to refine his craft in subsequent projects. Mm. You got to start somewhere. You got to keep moving on. Over the next decade, Hitchcock honed his skills more as a director in the British film industry, producing both silent and sound films, Mm. because this is that moment in... That transition... During the silent film era, Hitchcock directed several films, including The Lodger, A Story of the London Fog from 1927, which is often considered one of his earliest masterpieces oh, and wow. kind of a first true thriller. thriller. Oh, okay. Movie. The Lodger demonstrated Hitchcock's emerging style and those themes of suspense, which we'll come to know all the well okay. later. As sound technology became prevalent in the late 1920s and early 1930s, Hitchcock successfully transitioned to making sound films. His ability to use sound creatively and effectively contributed to the success of films like Blackmail from 1929, one of the first British sound films, Mm. also known as The Talkies. Mm Mm-hmm. We've talked about the talkies. We have. Okay, talkies. On December 2nd, 1926, Hitchcock married Alma Revel at the Brompton Oratory in South Kensington. Alma Revel. I love that name. I do too. I th- I hope that's R-E-V-I-L-L-E. It could be Revel or Reville. Oh, it's probably Reville. It's probably Reville, isn't it? Alma Reville at the Brompton Oratory in South Kensington. The couple honeymooned in Paris. Oh. I wrote parentheses blech. Kevin does Alma- not like Paris. <sighs> It comes up in every story. It does. It really does. Alma would become a crucial collaborator throughout Alfred's career. Mm. Uh, Alma Alma and Alfred. I just put those together. I love it. I want to do a needlepoint of that. You should. Like the side profiles. (laughs) Alma Reville was born on August 14th, 1899 in Nottingham, England. Oh, okay. Which is one day after uh, Alfred's. Oh, I was like, like... On the same year. Wow. August 13th, 1899. She was born August 14th, 1899. Leo's written in the stars. Alma showed an early interest in the film industry and began her career at the same time in the silent film era. Okay. We have a lot of really great women in the silent film era. I just yeah. want to say that. Alma started as a film editor and script supervisor. She worked at Famous Players Lasky. Okay. Later Paramount. In London, where she met Alfred Hitchcock. All That's right. where they met. They worked for the same studio. Alma was an editor, screenwriter, and eventually became Hitchcock's closest creative partner. Cool. The marriage lasted over 53 years. Wow. Until Hitchcock's death in 1980. I thought you were going to say, like, until she decided she wanted a divorce. I'm like, you know, after a few decades, sometimes. She was just like, fuck it. <laughs> Someone get me. I'm out. The Hitchcocks had a significant professional collaboration, as I've been hinting at. Alma Reville played a crucial role in the filmmaking process, and she was in there doing scripting, editing, 
overall creative development of like all getting his after movies. it her influence extended to hitchcock's legendary attention to detail and meticulous planning great i think together they were just very focused yeah. on making something specific which we'll get into it more later but i think that can also kind of put others off sometimes when the focus mm. is too i see you know what i mean when you're looking through a straw or whatever i see they had one daughter patricia <laughs> okay <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were surprised by that or excited I'm about it. <laughs> Patricia. You're like, they had one daughter. Shout out Patty. Patty Hitchcock. <laughs> I don't think she went by that. Is but she maybe. still alive? No. She oh. died in 2021. Oh, wow. Pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, but her name was Patricia. She was born in 1928. Uh, and she later appeared in some of Hitchcock's films. Mm. The Hitchcocks maintained a relatively private family life. Okay. Despite the demands of Hitchcock's filmmaking career, they remained dedicated to each other and their daughter. Patricia Hitchcock's involvement in the film industry also reflected the family's close ties to the world of cinema. Hitchcock would often speak about his marriage to Alma in interviews. He wasn't super apt to talk about himself personally, mm-hmm. but he did talk about his wife. Which is Was it like a true love there? I think so. Okay. I, di- I didn't, there wasn't anything I read that made me think otherwise. Okay, good. I think they really had a strong admiration for one another. Mm-hmm. He would talk about Alma in interviews, describing her as his most trusted collaborator and confidant. Okay. Hitchcock once humorously remarked about his collaboration with Alma, saying, quote, the length of our collaboration, I couldn't do without her. If she didn't exist, I'd have to invent her. That's a Which, weird when, thing I, to okay, say. I, it is. And I thought about it for a second. I think it's kind of sweet in its own unique, weird way. In 1939, Hitchcock made the move to Hollywood, mm. where he would go on to create some of, of course, the most iconics. Mm-hmm. Uh, his Hollywood career began with Rebecca. Okay. In 1940, which is a big one. And that won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Wow. Uh, throughout the 1940s and 50s, Hitchcock solidified his reputation as the master of suspense. With classics such as Shadow of a Doubt, uh, Notorious, and Strangers on a Train. Snakes on a Plane. Strangers on a Train. Everybody's gonna talk about this. I want to make a rap about that. You just did. I just had a musical thing. So when he moved to Hollywood and started having this success, his mother actually ended up passing away oh, soon after that. That's sad. Um, on September twenty third, nineteen forty two, she died during the production of Shadow of a Doubt. Okay. And Hitchcock was deeply affected by his mother's death, and he dedicated that movie to her memory. Mm. Alfred's childhood and early life experiences, as I've said. Like it highly influenced his filmmaking style, his Catholic upbringing, mm-hmm. fascination with suspenseful literature, and exposure to the German expressionist. Why can't I, say, I don't I say that word? It's not even a hard word. The German expressionist cinema. We all have our issues. Some are more apparent. Okay, <laughs> can I tell you? Yes. I was trying to write my Patreon episode today yeah. at the coffee shop, and I wrote apparently. Yeah. And my thing kept saying it was wrong. Like, I got the red underline, and I'm like, apparently. Yeah. And I tried so many different ways. And I was like, how the fuck am I not spelling apparently correctly? Like, I know how to spell apparently. Turns out I did not spell that word correctly. It's so interesting when that happens, <laughs> and especially with, like, really simple words. Yeah, and I was, like, looking at it. I was like, how is that possibly how is wrong? It, then why is it wrong? Yeah. yeah. I was like, What's wrong with my computer? Like, it's giving yeah. me typos that aren't typos. And I was like, oh, no, fuck. That's not how I had that word with obscene, like, not too long ago. Mm. And I was like, this is right. Yeah. And I was missing, like, two letters. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so we're talking about Hitchcock being a master of suspense mm-hmm. and how that sort of relayed back to his childhood. He had the ability to create tension. And he used really innovative camera techniques. And his understanding of the psychological aspects of storytelling are what, you know, made this lasting effect on, yeah. on cinema culturally, I think. 
However, Hitchcock was known for his intense and controlling relationships with his leading actresses. Mm -hmm. Some actresses, including Tippi Hedren, who starred in The Birds from 1963 and Marnie in 1964, have spoken about Hitchcock's demanding and at times inappropriate behavior on set. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock was known for his control. He was, you know, he was a very controlling and meticulous director. And during the filming of The Birds, he became like, fixated on Tippi Hedren. Hedren has stated in interviews that Hitchcock's attention went beyond professional interest and became way more personal than it should Mm. have. Tippi alleged that Hitchcock became infatuated with her. Yikes. And when she rejected his advances, he became vindictive and even more controlling. Mm. This strained their working relationship during the filming of those movies. He allegedly began sending her gifts and letters. He didn't love Alma if he's trying to get with these other women. Yes. And I hear what you're saying. I want to, I'll get into a theory that I read later about this behavior. And I'm not, it's a, it doesn't excuse it in any way. But I it's think a theory that's out it's there. It's a theory that's out there that. In my mind, I can see how it makes sense. So, yes, I hear what you're saying about, I absolutely, like, if you're with this other, if you're trying to get with other women, do you really love this person you say you love so much? And question, was Alma on set on his projects? So she, like, possibly witnessed this. You know, and I, that leads me to believe that the theory I'll get to later. This strained their working, the the relationship between Mm -hmm. Hitchcock and Hedren uh, during the filming of those movies. And he would be just, you know, overly possessive to her and really, really strange. So she did the birds, Uh but then also went and did Marnie. Was it a contractual obligation? I think, you know, I don't want to give an answer to that because I don't know. But I think at this time, this would be an educated guess, was that he was a big shot director at sure this, time. this is a big ass director mm-hmm. i think people w- at the top wanted to work with him in any capacity mm. even if she experienced this like mistreatment i don't know if it was a contractual thing i didn't okay. see that mentioned okay uh it might have been a deal that had already happened since they were shot back to back basically yeah. So yeah, the the relationship went became even more strained when she started filming Marnie with him. Uh, Hedron has described Hitchcock's behavior as emotionally abusive, oh. and she felt pressured and uncomfortable working with him. When Hedron rejected Hitchcock's advances even more, she claims that he was like, "Okay, well, fine, I'm going to control your career." Oh God. And according to Hedren, Hitchcock made it difficult for her to work in the industry by effectively blacklisting her. He's the Harvey Weinstein of the 1960s. <laughs> Career-wise, he didn't rape anybody that I found. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't make it better, though. Hedren's career did face challenges after her collaboration with Hitchcock. Mm. Uh, while she continued to work in film and television, the controversy surrounding her relationship with Hitchcock and the subsequent difficulties uh, in her career can be obviously seen mm-hmm. like things didn't go as well and also that. i mean he could easily have just gone around and been like she's difficult well and that's the thing too like he's such a big name in hollywood it's yeah. so easy to do that yeah um, as soon as you are labeled difficult you're done bye girls and boys plural and i don't know why i said it like that <laughs> you know everyone <laughs> she said in an interview that hitchcock ruined her career but not her life okay I read an article about, there was a movie, I think, that came out with Sienna Miller playing Janet Lee or something, Mm. Um, and she was interviewed when that came out. I Um, see. And she was like, it ruined my career, but not my life. Now let's talk about Alfred Hitchcock's shower scene Mm -hmm. from the movie. Question. Sorry. Wasn't there a thing with Tippi Hedren on the birds where he, like... There's more about Tippi Hedren coming later. Oh, okay. Because I was it's like, it's not all done. I I broke it up a little bit. Got it, got it, got it. I was like, because there what? are there are other things that happened that he did that fit in with other. Elements I of him see. Being I see. Director. Don't okay. you worry, Kate. I got you. Okay, set me up for your for your next thing. <laughs> okay. All right, Alfred Hitchcock's shower scene in the film Psycho, 1960, is often considered one of the most shocking and groundbreaking moments in cinematic history. Several factors 
contribute to its impact. Let us talk about them, Kate. Let us. That scene sparked a lot of controversy when it first came out because it was so graphic for the Mm, time. Sure. Hitchcock's decision to kill off the main character early in the film. Oh, spoiler warning for Hitch <laughs> for Psycho. If you haven't fucking seen Psycho by what now, what are you even doing? This is not a spoiler. It's been decades. I would love to do an episode on Psycho, and I'm I'm not going to go into all of it here, but okay. there's a lot around the making of Psycho. Mm. There's a really great podcast series from Wondery called Inside Psycho. It's the same people that did Inside the Exorcist. Ah, okay. Um, really great deep dive into nice. the story, the making, everything. So we'll talk. We'll do it. I'll do like a Patreon great. episode of that, maybe. So yeah, it was it's considered an unconventional scene. It's a pivotal moment in the film because it defies the audience's expectations. Mm. So up until that point, the character of Marion Crane, who's played by Janet Leigh, mm-hmm. uh, is established as the film's protagonist. And her sudden and brutal death in the shower is unexpected and shatters traditional storytelling conventions. Mm. Yeah. So Hitchcock's decision to depict the murder in a graphic and intense manner was unprecedented. The stabbing is shown through quick cuts, Mm -hmm. striking camera angles, and the use of music and sound effects. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all coming together to sort of show this thing, but not without actually, like, fully showing it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the suspense of it. The thrill. The master of suspense. (laughs) The shower scene is certainly a masterclass in cinematography, Kate. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hitchcock a lot. Who are you right now? I don't know. Hitchcock. That wine has hit you I, in I'm a weird drunk, way. I'm not drunk though. I promise you. I'm just having a good day. <laughs> Great. I love it. Uh, Hitchcock, along with cinematographer John L. Russell and editor George Tomasini, used different and innovative techniques such as montage editing. Montage. Tell us about the montage editing. Montage editing. God. Uh, montage editing mm-hmm. and the careful selection of shots to create a sense of tension and horror in that moment. Yeah. That scene is laden with psychoanalytic themes. Tell us about them. Tapping into fears and anxieties associated with vulnerability, invasion of privacy, mm. and sudden violence. Yeah. Which I think about all the time. Because of that movie, mm-hmm. when I lived alone, Every day when I got home, I would go into the bathroom mm-hmm. and I had a shower curtain up that like I always close it after a shower because, you know, you want you don't want there to be mold. Exactly. So when I would come home, like at the end of the day, I would walk into the bathroom and I'd walk up to the shower curtain and I'd punch it just to make sure no one was hiding behind it. Because I was like, I don't need anything happening to me in the shower. I still do that. Like when I get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, I open the shower curtain because I just, I can't sit there. You gotta. And you gotta make sure, you gotta check that no one's there. You know, one of the things that always scared me as a kid in the shower was there's a scene in the original televised movie of It Mm. um, where Pennywise comes up through a drain in the boys locker room in the shower mm. scared the fucking shit out yeah, of me yeah that would anyone i don't need a fucking clown coming up through drains in the shower no, no. i mean i'd prefer lead As some people have their preferences <laughs> i would prefer nothing just like a nice running working shower and then again in that scene bernard herman's score which is the you know stipulated mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> eek, eek, eek. that um, was a horrible impression i'm sorry I think everyone we both tried to do <laughs> Everyone's like, that's not how that went. You are crazy. Um, But I mean, that also contributes to the overall shock of it, Mm -hmm. coupled with the visual visual elements make it, you know, I'm touting it a lot. The filming of that scene. Let's talk about that. Sure. Because, uh, of course, famous Janet Leigh. Famous Janet Leigh. mom. (laughs) She's the, of course, the actress in that scene who is very famous. And Hitchcock kept specific details about that scene from Janet Lee mm-hmm. because he wanted to capture a more authentic reaction. Mm-hmm. I know where this is going because I had to study this film for my fucking oh, universal shit. tour job. So, oh, chime in if I get something wrong. Oh, I think you're getting it all right. Lee was aware of the overall plot, mm-hmm. but the director deliberately withheld certain elements of the scene, such as the use of a body double, which was Marley Renfro, mm. and the timing of the shower head. So in one instance, Hitchcock manipulated the temperature of the water Mm -hmm. during the shower scene. Janet expected it. I think she expected it to be cold or hot. 
she expected to be warm, like a nice warm okay, hot shower. Maybe I got it wrong. So she expected it to be warm, and then it was just like freezing. He cold turned it ice cold. Ice cold, and she freaked out. Yeah. Which no shit. Yeah. I do that and scream all the time. You just surprise yourself. With I do. On the cold water. Ah, I don't know what it's gonna be. So to enhance the realism of the stabbing sequence, Hitchcock had a light bulb placed inside the fake blood pouch Mm. to make it appear more vivid on camera. Oh, cool. Uh, And this added an unexpected visual element to the scene. At one point, Janet Lee's performance wasn't meeting Hitchcock's expectations. So out of frustration, he grabbed the prop knife and just began fake stabbing at Lee. Awesome. What is with these directors? Because it's the same thing with, um, with that guy who, Blatty or right. William Peter Blatty. Yeah. yeah. Where he's just abusing actors on set to get reactions. It always goes in a poor direction. Honestly. It's not great, it's not guys. Great to do. He fake stabbed her, barely missing her body, trying to actually scare her. Cool. So aside from this, Hitchcock, of course, as I've mentioned, is known for his demanding directing style. Many actors out there at the time admired his genius, but others who worked with him found it challenging. Mm -hmm. The atmosphere on some of his sets was just described as intense. Yeah. An intense experience. If I went to work and someone pretended to stab me, Yeah, I feel like that's intense. He was also known for meticulous attention to detail and pursuit of perfection. This is where we're getting into like laser focused Mm -hmm. on these movies without thinking about kind of how everyone else's experiences contributing to the creation. He had a precise vision for each scene and often required numerous takes to achieve the desired result. Mm. Along with this, he was a technical innovator and used complex camera movements and techniques. So achieving the intricate shots he envisioned required a high level of precision from his cinematographers, editors, and other crew members. Mm-hmm. That was a, a little lot bit of demanding and a lot of pressure on people who worked on those movies. Yeah. It was kind of, he's like, he has a very specific what he wants. It's so hard in those situations. Like, I've experienced this just working in entertainment and the yeah. arts industry. Like, having someone who has such a vision for something but it's like they can't communicate it in the way that they need to so you just have to keep trying it until you get it you get it for them and Mm. it's just such a frustrating experience yeah crew jobs on sets are already so stressful because you're working crazy ass hours Mm -hmm. but then to like have to appease someone like that right Who's going to make you do it until he gets what he wants. Yeah, that'd be a fucking nightmare. Scary. Just a little piece of trivia I want to throw in here. When he was finishing, I don't know how true this is, but I found it on IMDb. Okay. When finishing a cup of tea while on the set, he would often like non-discriminately just toss the cup and saucer over his shoulder, letting it fall or break wherever it may. What the? Why? I don't know. I'm going to start doing the same. No, I'm kidding. I was like, that's a good wine glass. Do not. (laughs) So not only was he wanting to have say over everything else involving the production, but he also was involved in the marketing. So here, Kate, we're seeing that. What's it called? Vertical Vertical integration. integration. Hey, Disney. Hey, girl. I have another. Hey, girl. (laughs) Hey, girl. I have a a Disney uh, trivia piece at the end of this to do with Alfred Hitchcock. Oh. No. No. The thing about this was he was actually really smart around marketing and and PR Mm, when it came to movies. He understood the importance of creating suspense, not only in the films, but also in the promotion of his projects. So, for example, during the release of Psycho, he insisted that theaters not allow latecomers to enter once the film started, building a sense of suspense and anticipation. Mm. Oh, you can't come in once this starts because it'll interrupt it. And everyone's like, really? Exactly. I mean, smart. Going back to working with actors, he did other things to try to elicit responses from people mm. that worked with him. For instance, he might create an atmosphere of tension on set or use specific music to induce anxiety to put actors on edge oh. uh, before filming intense scenes. He was also fond of surprising his actors with unexpected elements during the filming of those crucial scenes. So this could include sudden loud noises, unexpected props, or alterations to the set, all designed to capture authentic reactions. Alterations to the set? I would have so 
much anxiety. Yeah. Like if you're an actor and you like you're go home or you're in your hotel room or whatever and you're preparing and you're like, okay, I've got my lines down, I've got my blocking down, like I'm ready for this, let's do this. I'm in this huge movie with this huge director. And then you show up to set and like and it's different. the fucking set has changed and like random loud bangs are going off and then a director's trying to pretend to stab you. Like what kind of day at work is that? <laughs> I would need so much medication. I would too. Bring on the Xanax. So Hitchcock's demand for perfection, it caused stress and tension. Yeah. And he sometimes gave unconventional or vague directions to the actors. Great. Exactly what you want in a director. (laughs) Encouraging them to explore uh, their characters' emotions and reactions in unscripted ways. Mm. In some instances, Hitchcock subjected actors to physical discomfort to achieve realistic performances. Hate Here's that. the the Tippy Hedron thing. So, for example, during the filming of the birds, he used live birds mm-hmm. and various techniques to create a sense of fear and chaos. Tippy Hedron was actually chased and attacked by the birds That's while she was so filming the movie. Fucked up. That's so messed up yeah. to have to leave a set after being pecked by a ton of birds. Oh my god! Did she have to go to the hospital? I don't think she did. I don't think it was that okay. severe, but still. Yeah, like, you just got attacked by fucking birds. Birds are scary when they attack. Birds are no fucking joke. <laughs> Weren't we talking about this recently? I think recently? we might have been, yeah. What was it, an owl or so? Oh, because I think we were talking about the staircase case. Right. Don't fuck with birds. They'll fuck with you back. And, and they'll have win. have no qualms. <laughs> they, and they will win. Yeah, they will. You can't fly unless you're David Blaine. I don't know. Wow, you pulled him out of nowhere. Who I did? Who's talked about David Blaine in five years? David Blaine. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he's great. I, I like I magic. Great. I love magic. We should go to the. Um, there's a theater up in Andersonville. Which I've been a, and I love it. Is it good? It's I've never great. been. It's great. The one where you enter through a laundry a laundromat is. I don't know. Oh, there. Yeah, we'll go. Okay, it's fun. I love it. We'll go to Blowfish to see a magic show. Yes. That sounds fun, actually. Hitchcock also enjoyed playing pranks on his actors. Okay. I mean, I could get into some pranks depending on what they are. Yeah. In one instance, he sent his daughter, Patricia, uh, into Anthony Perkins, who played Norman Bates' Bates' dressing room, dressed as a corpse to just surprise him. Surprise! Surprise! I mean, that's kind of fun I mean, at yeah. the end of the day. At the end of the day, I think he did play some fun pranks. Yeah. During those filmings, while he was kind of treating people weirdly, he would maintain certain emotional distances from people. Um, and he, while he could be supportive and collaborative, he also viewed actors as instruments to convey his own mm, vision. It sounds like it. Yes. Anyone that you're going to like treat horribly. You to don't, get what you want. You it's don't like very see them as an equal or as a physical human feeling being. Yeah has emotions absolutely but there's another viewpoint to this other accounts of actors have painted the director in a nice light with stars saying he was actually a delight to work with we're going to talk about the theory that hitchcock was a so we know what method acting is Mm -hmm. a method director that hitchcock's behaviors could be seen as like a catalyst for that kind of performance and overall feelings that he wanted to portray on screen and not necessarily like a reality thing. Like he would. So I see what you're saying. Right. So let's take like the Tippy Hedren thing. Like she's filming these very suspenseful movies with these horrific themes. And he's like treating her in a way that. He's like, you know what? You're going to get attacked by birds. Let's make them real fucking birds. Here we go. Exactly. I get what you're saying and like why right. they would see, they could see his behavior as being explained by it that. It doesn't but... excuse it though. Exactly. And that's what I was trying to say earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I hear what you were saying, which yeah, it's terrible. I using these methods is not good by any means really. Don't stick live birds on people. No, but you know, it, there, it, it provides an explanation. Is it, it's not a good enough explanation though to excuse yeah. behavior. Aside from this, Hitchcock carefully cultivated a public image and was known for his dark sense of humor Mm. and dry sort of Mm -hmm. comedy. He often made self-deprecating jokes and played up his master of suspense persona. However, his public image contrasted with a more complex and private personality. Mm. Hitchcock had a dark... As I said, sense of humor, Jesus, repeating myself. And he wants to find happiness as, quote, a small, dry martini. Oh, well, he wants to find happiness. I thought you said he wants to find 
happiness. To find happiness, a small dry martini. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? What? I do like a small dry martini. I'm not a big martini person. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock, known for his wit, eccentricities, and unique approach to filmmaking, has left behind numerous notable stories that contribute to his legendary status. At a dinner party, mm. he... This is stupid. I'm including it, though. He performed a famous prank where knowing that like one of his guests was had some kind of fear of water. Oh, God. um, Filled a glass with water and pretended to accidentally spill it on them. This is so he's such a fucked up person. And I read I didn't include this in my notes, but I read that like if he found out that someone was afraid of like spiders or, you know, so he would send them a box, a box of of spiders. Yeah. That is so awful. Like, way to really just turn that trauma knife a little bit further. Keep turning the knives. It's the 60s. Hitchcock had a peculiar... Hitchcock had a peculiar... Third time's charm. Hitchcock had a peculiar... (gasps) Maybe it's not. Peculiar. Peculiar. Kate, I can't say it. Are you having a stroke? I don't think so. I'm okay physically. Peculiar. Peculiar. There we go. <laughs> wow. That's never happened to me before. You went on a real journey there. Hitchcock had a peculiar aversion to eggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I thought that <laughs> sentence was going to end. <laughs> and why was this, Kevin? <laughs> He once mentioned that the sight of a fresh, undisturbed egg yolk made him queasy. That's so weird. Kate and I love eggs. Just to put love. it out there. Love Like, we're eggs. not even kidding. We're not kidding about that. Love it. We've had extensive conversations about how we like how to, to cook our eggs. eggs. And Kate bought me an egg maker once. I did. I love that thing. Do you use it? I use it all the time. Oh, wow. I didn't no, know. No, still to this day. That was like two years ago. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> this unusual fear found its way into some of his films. Okay. With Hitchcock incorporating eggs into suspenseful scenes, such as in <laughs> To Catch a Thief from... 1955 there's a memorable scene where Cary Grant's character is served eggs Mm. uh, and Hitchcock reportedly reveled in creating a suspenseful atmosphere around the seemingly innocuous meal huh look I'm serving him eggs it's almost too like he's trying to face his own traumas yeah he has a weird thing about eggs well then I'll fucking send him a whole crate of eggs you should see how he feels (laughs) see how they like it (laughs) Hitchcock made cameo appearances in most of his films. I Mm. think this is what we know a lot about. Mm -hmm. Uh, These brief and often humorous appearances became a trademark of Mm -hmm. his. Hitchcock's cameo became a fun element for audiences to look out for in each of his movies. Where is he going to be, Kate? It's like Stan Lee in Marvel movies. Ah. (laughs) I didn't know that. Here are some notable and memorable Hitchcock cameos. Okay. I just wanted to run through them. I thought it'd be fun. In The Lodger, A Story of London Fog, Hitchcock's cameo in this silent film is one of his earliest. He can be seen in a newspaper office. Okay. In The 39 Steps, his silhouette is seen on a billboard advertisement for a weight loss product. Okay. He was a big man. Sure. For Lifeboat 1944, he had a hard time deciding what to do with his cameo. Uh, What he eventually came up with was to have his picture in a newspaper advertisement for weight loss that floated among some debris around the boat. He had happened to have lost a considerable amount of weight from dieting around that time. Mm. So he was seen in both the before and after. It was like a before and after weight loss picture. And the text of this ad uses the tagline obesity slayer. Did he have like a, a hang up about his weight? Some, so something like this would make me think that because he's bringing it up, maybe there was some. It sounds like because it's come up a couple of right, times. Right. It's come up a couple of times. So maybe he had some. Um, what's the word? And obviously he was the one who made that caption. Yeah. Obesity. Yeah. Slayer, yeah. And so... he did it. I think it's like, you know, it almost feels to me like make fun of yourself before other people can make fun of you mm-hmm. type thing. Oh, much like his, much like Hitchcock, Alma made a cameo appearance in some of his films hmm. as well. He was also known to include unusual clauses in actors' contracts. Let's hear about this because I feel like I have is... one instance. Okay, but for in, for example, in Tippi Hendren's contract, Tippi he 
I don't know. They. I think he had a thing for her. In Tippy Hedren's contract for the birds, there was a clause stating that the studio would pay her a bonus if she maintained her figure. See. By not gaining or losing weight during the production. He had a weird thing about her. Uh, while filming To Catch a Thief in 1955, Hitchcock had disagreements with the original novelist David Dodge hmm. over the adaptation of the book. And he made substantial changes to the story without consulting mm, Dodge. That's not good. Leading to tension between them. Uh, Hitchcock's strong-willed approach to adapting source material sometimes created conflicts with the uh, authors. Well, yeah. He'd just be changing shit and not telling them. Uh, he eventually did part ways with the acclaimed composer Bernard Herrmann, who mm. did the music. Oh, he did a lot of music for Hitchcock throughout okay. his career. What happened between them? During a production of Torn Curtain in 1966, Hitchcock decided to replace Herrmann's score without telling him. Wow. And that led to the end of their professional collaboration. Yeah, I can see why. Alfred Hitchcock passed away on April 29th, 1980. At the age of 80, the cause of his death was kidney failure. Hitchcock had been suffering from renal failure for some time and his health had declined in the later years of his life. Mm. Despite his health issues, Hitchcock continued to work on projects and make public appearances. However, his declining health eventually led to his passing. Alfred Hitchcock's death marked the end of an era in cinema, as he was one of the most influential and iconic filmmakers in the history of the medium. Alma Reville, his wife and collaborator, passed away on July 6, 1982. Oh, just two years later. The cause of her death, death was natural causes and attributed to, to aging. Sure. So that's that's Alfred Hitchcock. I Now I have some list of fun facts that okay. I pulled that I think just fun stuff. Hitchcock popularized the term MacGuffin uh, oh. to refer to a plot device that serves as a motivator for the characters but is often irrelevant to the audience. Mm. Uh, he used this concept in many of his films. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock was considered for the role of director for the James Bond film Dr. No from 1962. Oh, okay. However, he was deemed too expensive and mm. the role eventually went to Terrence Young. Okay. Despite his legendary status, Hitchcock never won an Academy Award for Best Director. He did receive the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award and was also knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1980. He delivered the shortest acceptance speech in Academy Award history while accepting that Irving Thalberg Memorial Award at the 1967 Academy Awards. The, and he simply said thank you. I mean, that's really all that needs to be said. Thank you. Hitchcock was known for his culinary skills, too, mm. and enjoyed preparing meals. Was his, he good with a knife? Did he like to chop things? I would, I bet the fuck so. Mm -hmm. His daughter, Patricia Hitchcock, once said, quote, my father was a good cook. He could make an excellent omelet. Which Wait, is funny. What? Because hates he hated eggs. One notable film uh, is Hitchcock from 2012, mm. which was directed by Sasha Gervasi. While it doesn't cover Hitchcock's entire life, it focuses on the making of Psycho. Ah, uh, okay. And it explores his relationship with his wife, Alma Reville, and features Anthony Hopkins as Alfred Hitchcock and Helen Mirren as Alma Reville. Mm. I saw this. It's good. Because okay. they were nominated for Oscars, I think. Oh, really? Or at least Anthony Hopkins was. Oh, wow. Walt Disney refused to allow him to film at Disneyland in the early 1960s because because Hitchcock had made, quote, that disgusting movie Psycho. Interesting. Was Disney averse to the content or he just thought it was bad? I didn't look into that further. I just thought it was funny that he thought that it was a disgusting movie. Interesting. Hitchcock is the voice of the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. He was naturalized as a United States citizen in 1956. For interviews, the director made it known that he wouldn't allow any questions regarding his personal life. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Keep your personal sure. Life if personal. you don't want, if you want to, you don't have to. That's Alfred Hitchcock. Thank you. Of course. I had a good time in. I had a good time doing this one. And you can let us know your thoughts or what your favorite Hitchcock movie is if you have one in the comments at Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at, Hor at Horrorwood Podcast. Or shoot us an email at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And you can be like Gigi or Alexia and hop on over to Patreon at Pat patreon.com slash horrorwoodpodcast. Thanks, everybody. Kate, what's, before we finish, what's your favorite Hitchcock movie? We didn't talk about that. I Well, I haven't seen all of them. I haven't either. So for me, it's probably Psycho. I do like Rear Window. I do like The Birds. I watched one recently, and I can't remember the name of it. And that's stupid, so why am I mentioning it? But <laughs> it was like, it's all done in one shot. Oh, I don't know. I'm
I'm sure Matt would know.